Hey everybody, welcome to episode 146 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this will be my penultimate episode covering the Superpowers team, the Galactic Guardians, the quote-unquote ninth season of Super Friends, the fall 1985 season. And this time around, I will be covering in the first segment, the episode Wild Cards, and in the second segment, the uh, two 11-minute short stories of Brainchild and the case of the stolen superpowers. So, in the first half, we're going to get a visit from the Royal Flush Gang, who will be making their first appearance on the show, and with only two uh, episodes remaining after this to cover, probably their only appearance. And the second segment will see us take on uh, Brainiac and an odd team-up of Felix Faust and the Penguin. So, a bunch of villains we've never seen before, mixed in with some that have made quite a few appearances on the show, and that's all coming up. Before I get to that, I want to jump into some feedback. I have a letter here from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 135, and Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I'm glad to hear that you have a higher opinion of at least the first part of these lost season episodes than some of the earlier seasons of Super Friends. It's good to have the Legion of Doom back again. Mixias Pitalik's revenge was a fun bit of business. In some ways, it brought to mind the world of Mr. Mixias Pitalik from Action Comics number 273, cover dated February 1961. In that story, Superman decided that Turnabout is fair play and visited Mixias Pitalik in his home fifth dimension to play pranks on him and generally pester him. Mixias Pitalik determined that if he has to get Superman to say his name backwards in order to send him back to his own third dimension. In various ways, he tries to get Superman to say Namripus which is Superman backwards. But even when Superman says it, he doesn't vanish. This is because Superman's true name is Kal-El, so he has to say Lay-Lack to return home, which he does once he feels Mixias Pitalik has had enough. By the way, this story was the first appearance of the Silver Age Mixias Pitalik, as differentiated from the Golden Age Mixias Tiplik. Note the transposition of the P and the T in the name. Not that you can really notice that in an audio medium, but there it is. In the Super Friends story, Mixias Pitalik's Revenge, there was a bit of backwards logic to get Superman and Batman home, too, and that was fun. This story was my favorite of, of this episode, and surprisingly, two Gleeks are deadlier than one, my next favorite, mainly because of the appearance of the Legion of Doom, who are, at least sometimes, more worthy foes for the Super Friends. I could generally do without the Wonder Twins, and especially Gleek. Mention of the Wonder Twins reminds me of a question I have about the Krypton TV series. Did the writers name the character Jaina Zod as some sort of reference to Jaina of the Wonder Twins? I certainly hope not, because Jaina Zod is a far more interesting character. Thanks for a fun episode of your podcast, as always. In case you're interested, here's a link to a Babbling About Comics blog post about the world of Mr. Mixie Spitalik I rambled on about above. Live long and prosper, Dave. And uh, Dave had provided a link to that blog post that he mentioned, and I will be sure to put that in the show notes. So you can click on it if you choose to do so. Not a lot to add to Dave's letter. I personally have not read the uh, Mixias Pitalik's Revenge story, so I really don't have any comments on it. But now that uh, Dave has mentioned it, I do have... uh, I can get a hold of that issue of Action Comics fairly easily and uh, and read that story, and uh, maybe I will do so at some point. And as far as Jaina Zod being a... from Krypton being a reference to Jaina of the Wonder Twins? I don't know. Maybe. I guess if you want it to be, it can be, but I did wonder the same thing myself, being uh, the familiarity of the name, but you never know. I guess they've uh, referenced so many other uh, things that maybe uh, 
people in the mainstream don't know about, such as, you know, Wegthor and Jaxor, some of the things that us comic fans know about, but are not as well known to the general public. So maybe Janazad is uh, a reference to Jaina of the Wonder Twins, but yeah, I would agree with Dave's uh, point that Janazad from Krypton is a far more interesting character than Jaina of the Wonder Twins. And it is uh, quite the pity that we are not going to see any more of Jaina Zod due to sci-fi's recent uh, cancellation of Krypton. And in case you were wondering, that's pretty much why I didn't do um, an episode kind of rounding up the second season of Krypton the way I did the first season. I had planned to. I even had at least one person who was interested in uh, coming on with me to talk about that. But sci-fi's cancellation of the show kind of just took the wind out of my sails a little bit and I really have no desire to give it the attention for that reason. It is the second time in the space of a year that sci-fi has done this to me, kind of canceled a uh, a show that I like and that I thought was good uh, science fiction. The other show was canceled about a year ago, The Expanse, which based on the uh, S.A. Corey novels, I believe, it's, I believe the it's two authors who write under a pen name S.A. Corey, James A. Corey, well, I, either way, The Expanse is based on their books, and really well, well done show, and I'm glad that Amazon Prime has picked it up, but it's kind of a tough pill to take from sci-fi sometimes with uh, when they cancel two uh, of the best sci-fi shows that they're showing to eventually show probably another Sharknado movie, but that's a rant for another time. So, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with The Wild Cards. Hang around, folks. Justice League International Blah Ha Ha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis, will be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter Batman Dr. Fate Black Canary Fire Ice Maxwell Lord Oberon Captain Marvel Rocket Red Captain Adam Mr. Miracle Guy Gardner Booster Gold Blue Beetle Nort And many, many more. Justice League International, blah ha ha podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start with The Wild Cards. Story was by John Loy and Alan Burnett. Teleplay by John Loy. I guess uh, Alan Burnett is more of a story guy than he is uh, an actual scriptwriter. And the original broadcast date was October 9th, 1985. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com your number one source for superman information on the web cyborg encounters four thieves who are saved by a character wearing a costume styled as the playing cards the character takes the thieves to a base provides them with costumes and dubs them the royal flush gang welcome to the house of cards what a layout oh but why have you brought us here I've been observing your operation for quite some time. I'm impressed. You're very good, but you could be better. With my help, you could be the greatest criminal gang of all time. Interested? Maybe. You will be, but 
If you want to play in this game, you're going to need the right suit. gets weirder and weirder. You'll be pleased to learn that I've finally chosen my elite criminal corps, my royal flush gang. <laughs> Amusing, isn't it? They're two greatest foes working together, and the superpowers team doesn't even realize it. <laughs> when the gang reappears, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Firestorm take them on and are captured. The gang's leader uses a device that places them in stasis. Batman, Robin, and Cyborg have followed, and Batman shows the leader is his enemy, the Joker. It's the end of the line, Ace. Or should I say, Joker? Ah! How did you know? Your house of cards has every card but one, and every deck has a Joker. Now suppose you show us how to release our friends. Sure! As soon as Darkseid gets back! <laughs> I'll show you! No, you little traitor! He does it with that device! Whose side are you on? Maybe I can reverse the process. Ah! Taste the fruits of treason 10! Joker is working with Darkseid to stop the superpowers team. Once you've captured the remaining superpowers team, I will begin my conquest of Earth. Just imagine, you will help me rule not one, but two planets. Yes, wonderful! <laughs> what are we gonna do? Nothing with Darkseid around. Be prepared to fill your other cards within the hour, Darkseid. I've already devised a plan to capture the rest. We have company, Father. Our enemies have discovered the House of Cards. And seemingly defeated on Apocalypse. Batman saves the day. Oh, thank Hera. Not so fast, buddy. Right, Robin. You see, during my battle with Jack, I managed to turn the tables on him with his energy sword. Allowing me the chance to switch costumes. Now, if Firestorm wouldn't mind another switch, my pleasure. So that Superman can save Metropolis from being attacked by Darkseid. What do you think will happen to us? The judge should show leniency in your case, Tim. But as for your friends, they'll have lots of time for card games behind bars. I only wish we were bringing back the real Wheeler Dealer. Hey, look! Ah! Well, well, Joker. Looks like you've been discarded. So this is the first appearance of a Batman villain other than the Riddler, who was the only 
Batman villain that Super Friends had access to, and this is going way back to the challenge of the Super Friends when the Legion of Doom was shown for the first time. They didn't have the rights to other Batman characters because of their use on the filmation Adventures of Batman show. I don't remember what the name of the show off the top of my head, but the Adventures of Batman or something of that nature. So at this point, 1985, that show was long since off the air and whatever rights uh, filmation had. The Batman characters have since lapsed and we have access to guys like the Joker and the Penguin. So this episode starts off in darkness and uh, we have some thieves breaking into uh, some kind of facility. I guess it's a bank or something. And they're being watched by a figure kind of shrouded in darkness. So that kind of right off the bat would tell me it's a character we know because why would the show drape an unknown character in, in darkness? At least one that was going to be revealed to be an unknown character. The payoff is that it's a character we know. The character had a distinctive laugh. And I'll be honest, when I watch all of these on DC Universe and there's a brief description underneath, and it says that Darkseid teamed up with the Joker. So I knew the Joker was in this story before I even started watching it. And even though I've assembled the document before I watched the episode, I don't read the synopses because a lot of these episodes I don't remember and don't even necessarily remember if I watched them or not. So while this robbery has happened, Cyborg just happens to walk by and uh, we hear the criminals breaking in and he runs and then leaps onto the roof. And, uh, you know, I guess he needed a running start. Otherwise, why didn't he just kind of leap to the roof to begin with? And the cyborg is gassed, and you would think he would have a better defense for that, but he doesn't. Meanwhile, the figure with the laugh, who I thought was the Joker, is not the Joker. At least, it doesn't appear to be the Joker. I guess the uh, joke is uh, on me, because this villain who appears to be dressed up as the Ace of Clubs is one of the Royal Flush Gang. And you've already heard me read the synopsis. He is eventually revealed to be the Joker, so there we go. I've just spoiled that for you even though you probably listened to the uh, synopsis. Well, anyway, the uh, Royal Flush Gang made its first appearance in Justice League of America number 43 in 1966. They were created by Gardner Fox and Mike Sikowski. They are a playing card-based group of supervillains and thieves, and their members are based on the picture cards of a deck of cards. Like, for instance, here we're going to have the Ten of Clubs, the Jack of Clubs, the Queen and the King, and the Ace, all of one suit, making up a Royal Flush. So the other's name was Jack, and there was one woman who was an easy candidate for Queen. So Ace attacks Cyborg with a playing card that engulfs him, and Ace recruits the criminals and gives them their own cards to float away on. And Cyborg is absolutely befuddled. I mean, who would... I mean, what a gimmick. This is the first time he's seeing anybody float away on a playing card. I'm pretty sure if I ever saw somebody float away on a playing card, I'd be pretty uh, surprised as well. And the way he's showing that surprise is this is probably... The first time they've met the Royal Flush Gang. So Ace brings them to the House of Cards. And as of right now, he is the only member of the gang. And he's trying to recruit them. And these four additional criminals are buying in. So there are two women. So the four criminals have become Ten, Jack, Queen, and King. To go along with Ace. Again, a Royal Flush. And this episode is doing a good job of building mystery. As Jack is talking to a shadowy figure that doesn't speak. If you know the show well enough at this point, the shadowy figure is very distinctive. It doesn't take a master detective to realize that it's Darkseid. You know, the the shadow is very bulky. You can, if you know it's Darkseid, you can make out the helmet too. So they do a very bad job of disguising uh, who the, the master villain of this episode is. 
So now Batman and Robin are doing some updates on the uh, Justice League computer, and we get our first appearances of the Penguin and the Joker on this show. And when I really say first appearance, it's just their heads on a computer screen. We also get a shot of uh, Felix Faust, who we... I don't believe we've seen him yet, either. Well, the update's complete. Our new computer file should give us an accurate readout of all the supervillains at large. Penguin, Joker, Felix Faust, Lex Luthor... Hey, I got someone new to add to the list. Take a look. Weird. Wonder Woman calling the Hall of Justice. Superman here. What's up? I just spotted something strange. Four characters dressed like playing cards. I'm going in for a closer look. Be careful, Wonder Woman. Come on, Firestorm. She may need some help. So Wonder Woman finds herself up against the Royal Flush Gang, and we've got an action sequence. Tanner Clubs is uh, shooting spades, and even though they're dressed as uh, in the uh, club suit, they can use any aspect of the playing card in their attack. She's shooting spades, because obviously they're sharper than the shamrock-shaped clubs, and uh, one of them uses a red card on Superman, and that emits some red sun energy, and that takes Superman down because his uh, the red sun energy takes his powers away. Firestorm is bedazzled by some diamonds that he's taking care of, probably a little more easily than he should be. I mean, the Royal Flush Gang is powerful, but they shouldn't be able to take able to take down the Super Friends this quickly. And they take out the most powerful members, Superman, Firestorm, and Wonder Woman. And Ace tells them to lay off the lesser-powered members. Basically, who is, what we're seeing here is Batman and Robin. Ace must have something special planned for them. So the Super Friends are captured, and Batman puts a tracker on the card so he can trace them. And after being taken back to the House of Cards, the Super Powers team are made into playing cards. And it's all done one at a time, and all the others do is look on in horror as their teammates are turned into picture cards, basically. You should see the look on Superman's face as everybody's going up on the cards. I think first Firestorm, then Wonder Woman, and then finally Superman. So the Super Friends are captured, and Ace introduces them to their benefactor. And if the fire pits out the window aren't enough of a clue, out comes Darkseid. So yeah, Somehow, the show doesn't really do a good job of explaining how this happens, but somehow the House of Cards is on Apocalypse. They enter it on Earth and somehow end up on Apocalypse. I don't know. It's comic book physics at its best. So the identity of Ace is still a mystery, but the presence of Darkseid's drones tip off to Batman, Robin, and Cyborg, who the true enemy is. If you remember from my episode last week, there were some robots that engulfed Steve Trevor's ship, these are the same things that Batman spots at the House of Cards, so they know they're dealing with Darkseid. So the uh, Superpowers team, they dispatch the, the robots, and Kalabak finds one of the drones, and uh, Darkseid is very happy about that, and and Ten is properly terrified of Darkseid and wants to escape. But that's when Batman and Robin show up at Cyborg, and they take apart the Royal Flush Gang like it's Swiss cheese. Batman ropes Ace, and... He pulls off the mask to reveal the Joker. And the Joker promptly asks Batman how he knew it was him, but Batman says he knew because the House of Cards didn't have any Jokers in it, which is not something I noticed. Like, did Batman actually look at the House of Cards, count every card that was represented, and notice there were no Jokers? Although he does make one mistake. He says every deck has a Joker. Actually, every deck has two. But in this case, one Joker is more than enough. Ten, meanwhile, is scared of Darkseid and isn't completely loyal to the gang, and there have been many stories where Ten would kind of strike out on her own apart from the Royal Flush Gang. 
I think there was even one story. I don't remember what kind of comic, what comic it was, and what the title was, where she even tried her hand at uh, changing sides and uh, becoming a hero. I don't think it took. And I think it's a fairly recent comic. Maybe something during the New 52 or in Rebirth. But as far as Ten goes, she's not always loyal to the Royal Flush Gang. And that's something that's been happening in the comics since the gang was conceived. Hey everybody, Mike here with a quick editor's note. The comic I'm referring to where Ten seemed to have changed sides is the current Batman Beyond comic written by Dan Jurgens, where a girl named Melanie was Ten and she's working with the team of uh, Terry McGinnis, his brother Matt who was Robin, and the older Bruce Wayne. So I just wanted to uh, throw that out there since I read a few Batman Beyond comics uh, a day or two ago as of uh, this editing. All right, back to the show. So now we have an action sequence involving playing cards, and I love how the Omega effect just turns Joker's ace costume into his usual purple suit. So he's done pretending to be a member of the gang, he is back to being the Joker. And the playing card flyers are right out of the comics. You, I am very accustomed to seeing the Royal Flush Gang flying around on a playing card, almost as though it's a magic carpet. And Joker, even though he has uh, he's back in his purple suit, he is riding an ace. To be honest, I think he should be riding a Joker, but that's just one podcaster's opinion. So Robin gets smacked with a card and it weighs him down. I guess uh, aces aren't always up. And Batman gets shot off his card and knocks uh, the jack off of his. I would rather see Batman going one-on-one with the Joker, but since Joker managed to get the best of Cyborg here, I guess uh, eventually that will happen. But they were all captured very quickly, so the battle between Batman and the Joker that I was hoping for I don't get, at least not immediately at this point. Now, being that they're captured, at least at this point, Darkseid compliments them on their valiance before he turns the Super Powers team members into playing cards. Batman and Robin share a card, and uh, Ten gets one of her own, along with Cyborg getting his own card, so all six of those cards are now full. We have Superman, Firestorm, Wonder Woman, Batman and Robin, Cyborg, and Ten. Seven people, six cards. And I guess the fact that Batman and Robin uh, are on the same card means that the show basically kind of considers them as one hero almost. You know, and that was especially obvious in the early uh, opening sequences when the the announcer would announce the roster. It was always, you know, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman and Robin. As if they were actually one person instead of two. So, here comes a lot of drones now going toward Earth and they're going after the Hall of Justice in Metropolis. And I guess nobody's home to uh, counter this. Now, here's where there's a little bit of a twist. Jack frees the superpowers team, and what we're going to eventually realize, and what Batman will explain through both the visuals and his narration, is the reason Batman's defeat seemed so sudden was deliberate. You know, at one point, you see uh, Batman and Jack about to face off after Batman has been shot off the magic carpet, and then suddenly Batman is engulfed in playing cards. The reason that happens is, that Batman defeated Jack and switched places with him, clothes and all. If we saw that beforehand, it kind of ruins the reveal of Batman pretending to be the Jack of Clubs. And of course, this whole thing is worth it just to see Firestorm act as the transmuter of clothing as he uh, switches Batman back into his proper gear. So now all that's left to to wrap up as Superman flies ahead and scatters the Parademons and blasts through the wall. Now, Superman is going to catch the robots while everyone else attacks the House of Cards. 
basically one blast and it falls like a quote-unquote house of cards. And that pun is very much intended. And then we get a little neat little action sequence that basically is almost like it's right out of a video game. We have some heat vision blasts and basically Superman is melting the robots one at a time. And they have no defense against Superman. So basically one at a time, Superman destroys all the robots and saves Metropolis. So the Hall of Justice is not as defenseless as we originally thought. And you want to know what will cower the Joker? Well, the answer would be Darkseid's Omega effect. Threaten him with that and he's terrified. So we end with 10 wondering what they'll do with her. She may get leniency and uh, just as Robin asked uh, for the real uh, Wheeler Dealer behind the plot, Joker just falls out of a boom tube, and uh, that leads to a bad uh, pun about him being discarded. So, the gang is going to have plenty of time, but card game's in jail, and it's over. Not a bad episode. Darkseid teaming with the Joker seems somewhat unusual. But Darkseid has been the big bad of the last two seasons, so it seems as though pretty much everything runs uh, through him. And this seemed to be an accurate portrayal of the Royal Flush Gang. And even if they're not one of my favorites, they were well showcased here, so... I thought that was a pretty good episode. Now, I'm going to take a break, play a podcast promo, and then when I come back, I'm going to finish things off with Brainchild and the case of the stolen superpowers. Hang around, folks. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You sparkling officers, now start acting like it! Oh, it's just Gary. Plain, simple, Gary. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will surely become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. Only on TwoTrueFreaks.com. All right, welcome back, folks. All the episodes of this segment had original broadcast date of October 16th. 1985, and we're going to start with Brainchild by Donald F. Glutt. And both of our synopses in this segment brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Cyborg and Ronnie Raymond are at a technology exhibit when robots attack. Cyborg and Firestorm stop them, but one robot zaps Cyborg. Ah! Cyborg, are you okay? Uh, uh, I feel real drained. Observation. It was logical that Cyborg would attempt to interface with my robot. Assessment. All goes according to plan. You'd better bring Cyborg back here. Will you be needing some help? Uh, I don't think so, Green Lantern. He's weak, but otherwise okay. Boy, oh boy. What hit me? Huh? My, Mom! What in blazes? We'll see you soon. Okay, guys. Over and out. The charge has allowed Brainiac to control Cyborg's cybernetics. Cyborg is forced to fly to Brainiac's ship, where Brainiac transfers Cyborg's mind into a giant android. 
evaluation. My control over you has thus far been only temporary. Soon, it will be permanent. Huh? What are you talking about? Explanation. Despite the vast powers of my computer mind, the superpower heroes have always defeated my logical ways with their human cunning and illogical instincts. But no longer. Observe. You see before you my creation. An android with untold powers, programmed to serve me. All that remains is to transfer your mind into its circuitry via my telepathic transporter. Let me go, you maniac! You should be grateful, cyborg. You will exist forever, oblivious to age, pain, and suffering. And I will finally have a robot commando who will battle with the instincts of a superpowers hero. Prepare for transfer into your new form. No! No! Ah! Superman and Firestorm managed to reach Cyborg's mind, making a transfer back into Cyborg. Firestorm, over there! Cyborg! What happened to him? He's in suspended animation. I fear his mind is locked in that android. What are we gonna do? If that android's been holding back its powers, as Brainiac indicated, it could mean he still retains some of Cyborg's humanity. We've got to appeal to the android's human side. Good luck. Now, Cyborg, terminate them. I repeat, terminate them now. You must resist, Cyborg. Destroy us and you'll lose any hope of ever being human again. Your theatrics are illogical, Superman. He is programmed only to obey me. Come on, pal. You gotta fight it. Illogical, he cannot resist. He looks like he's blowing a fuse. His humanity's fighting Brainiac's command. Brainiac, you lose. All right, so this episode uh, has Brainiac trying to take control of uh, Cyborg. And we start at the computer and robot exhibition. And, of course, Cyborg is very interested in this. Uh, Ronnie Raymond is uh, kind of tagging along as uh, just kind of looking at things while Cyborg is playing chess with a robot. That he defeats quite easily. Cyborg points out the advantage of being human over a robot as the robot made all the right moves, but the robot can't, you know, be sneaky like a human and can't operate on gut instincts like uh, Cyborg could. And there's something to that. A, a robot can't think creatively it does what it does based on uh, mathematical formulas and algorithms and it doesn't really think for itself at least not at that time now these robots that attack the expo look a lot what the uh, ed 209 would eventually look like in robocop basically the uh, big tall legs and the uh, thin headpiece these are just uh with the guns on the front of it these are just a uh, dull tan though instead of silver so uh, now we're introduced to the villain of this piece Brainiac, another particular individual who is heavily into robotics. Also in this episode, we get our first look at Green Lantern this season, and we don't see much of him in the opening shot, just kind of the neck up. And he's at the uh, Hall of Justice with Superman. So, But meanwhile, Cyborg seems to be glowing blue around his uh, cybernetics, and he's forced to leave the exhibition and right into the clutches of this uh, other robot here. And he can use his human side to tell Firestorm to call for help, but he can't physically do anything. So this red robot that pretty much swallows up Cyborg doubles as a spaceship 
and delivers Cyborg directly to the Skull Ship. The Brainiac is conducting an experiment on making control over Cyborg permanent so that he can overpower the Superpowers team. Now, while Darkseid constantly refers to them as the Superpowers team, Brainiac, for some reason, refers to them as uh, Superpowers heroes. I don't recall any other episodes written by Donald Glut, so I don't know if that's a Donald Glut thing or something that was decided to do just for Brainiac. I don't know, but everyone else refers to the Superpowers team. Brainiac says Superpowers heroes. I probably thought far more about that than the production crew did. So he wants to put Cyborg into an evil android that will serve him. This evil android will serve all of Brainiac's needs. So I'm not immediately sure exactly what he needs Cyborg for if this robot is just going to serve his, his needs. So through uh, some form of telepathy, uh, Brainiac transfers uh, Cyborg's mind into the android. And that is in the nature of this 11-minute short episode. As soon as Cyborg was transferred into the android, an alarm goes off and Superman and Green Lantern are on their way. But actually, it's not Superman and Green Lantern. And one of the things that does not compute to anybody in this episode is the force field around Brainiac's skull ship is yellow. For those of you who are familiar with Green Lantern, especially at this time, 1985, the Green Lantern power rings had an impurity that didn't allow them to, ha to affect anything that was yellow. The force field was yellow. Green Lantern should not have been able to take this down. But that mystery is quickly solved when we find out that it's Firestorm, pretending to look like Green Lantern so he can fool Brainiac. Shapeshifting is, as far as I know, not one of Firestorm's usual abilities. It seems like he's the one character that kind of gets every, uh, whatever ability the plot needs him to have. The plot needed him to disguise himself as Green Lantern, he disguises himself as Green Lantern. The plot needs him to do this, he does this, he does that, he does this. Like I said, he is a plot device for the most part. And here we have two superheroes fighting a robot. What could possibly be uh, better than that? So Superman looks at this machine that he sees Cyborg laying on, and by using his X-ray vision, Superman can tell that Cyborg is in the android. As usual, X-ray vision is represented by a greenish funnel emanating from Superman's eyes. And I'm not sure how Superman comes to his conclusion, but he comes to it. And he's right, so we really don't question him at all. So Superman's plan is to appeal to Cyborg's humanity and basically talk the android into giving up. And eventually the android explodes, and when the robot goes down, somehow Cyborg gets his brain back. It really seems as though Superman kind of Captain Kirk this android. This kind of talked it into destroying itself. So Brainiac's mistake was underestimating the human factor, which is something we saw in the opening scene of this episode. Cyborg was able to defeat the robot in the chess match because he had the human factor. He had creativity. He could think beyond the mathematical algorithm. So Brainiac scuttles his plan by decompressing his ship, which might kill Cyborg and Firestorm, but Superman just kind of wraps them in his cape, which is a familiar trick we see it constantly in the comics, and off they go. And with the episode ending... Brainiac waxes poetic about the android floating away. Farewell, lifeless Voyager. Now as empty as the emptiness of space. Conclusion. It was illogical to believe that human instincts could be controlled in robotic form. Hence my enemies win again. Prediction. Next time. Brainiac shall be the victor. And 
it's very weird seeing Brainiac recite what could be poetic as he's sitting there. Farewell, my friend. So basically, this episode doesn't really give us a whole lot to chew on here, and it's basically a jaunt, but we do get some really good work by Superman winning the day with his belief in Cyborg. Superman does not always need to win with his fist, he can sometimes win with his mind and his voice. So what could possibly be better than Superman winning the day by inspiring his comrade to persevere over his hardship and take his body and mind back from the enemy? Another good story, another, uh, it highlights Superman very well. And the next episode is going to highlight Superman very well, too. So let's move right along, shall we? Into the case of the stolen superpowers by Mark Young. And our Superman homepage synopsis is as follows. In jail, sorcerer Felix Faust plans a jailbreak by magically stealing Superman's powers. The witching hour has arrived. Tonight the planets fall in line. I can cast my special spell. Uh-huh. Hey, Felix, muffle it. I'm trying to sleep. You'll be rid of me tonight, Penguin. My crystal ball is the key to our cell. <laughs> you mean we're busting out of here? I'm busting out of here. Finally, I'll escape your mindless squawking. Oh, yeah? A guard? Oh, oh, oh. oh guard! All right, all right. You can come. Just be quiet. Not another peep, Felix. <laughs> And close that umbrella. You'll bring us both bad luck. But his cellmate, the Penguin, manages to get the powers instead. The Superpowers team is helpless as Penguin causes a crime wave in Metropolis. If Felix Faust stole your powers, why did he give them to Penguin? I keep asking myself the same thing. Hey, everyone. Penguin's made national news. Not again. You see behind me a statue dedicated to the once mighty Man of Steel. It's been a week since Superman lost his powers, and now Penguin, once the least powerful of supervillains, has become a one-man crime wave. First came Monday's bank robbery. I believe in big withdrawals, Hawkman, so I'll just take the whole safe. <laughs> He struck again two days later. Wow! Even the great samurai failed to stop him. Then came yesterday's theft of the governor's yacht. Abandoned ship! Almost. Bon voyage! Fish face! And all of Metropolis asks, Is there no one who can stop him? I think not. <laughs> this is my city now. The bird is back in town. Let's hope we can weaken him with a blast of red solar energy. But even if we capture him, how are we going to get your powers back? Felix's magic is very potent. I must face the fact that I may never get them back. Faust, later in a cave hideout, forces Penguin to return and transfer the powers back to Faust. The superpowers team attacks and Firestorm creates kryptonite, while Wonder Woman uses her lasso to force Faust to transfer the powers back to Superman. Everything's finally back to normal. And not a moment too soon. Couldn't leave 
well enough alone, could you, Felix? Squaw! This is all your fault, you greedy bird! You'll have plenty of time to discuss the errors of your ways once you're sharing your old jail cell. Not again! Curses! <laughs> So, uh, another uh, episode with an unlikely team-up. If Darkseid and the Joker is an unlikely team-up. I mean, when you think about Darkseid, he is a master planner and schemer. Just the team-up with somebody like the Joker, who is a lot of times complete randomness and just does things because he thinks they're funny, must be maddening. Who can imagine a team-up of Felix Faust and the Penguin? And it's actually not really a team-up, so I shouldn't really throw that word around too lightly. They're kind of just in the story because they're cellmates. They, they're actually at odds with each other and not really teaming up. And uh, this episode starts with them in their cells. It's lights out in prison and uh, Faust is lighting a match on the center block wall. And at first, the face that is shown is kind of nondescript. It's a, you know, some, it's a white guy with uh, black hair. I really didn't recognize him as uh, Felix Faust until he put his uh, headdress on. He's got his long... Uh, I think it's normally a purple uh, robe or dark blue or purple. And But once he put his um, matching headdress on, then I I immediately recognized him as uh, Felix Faust. I don't recall if I've ever seen him either in the comics or in another animated series like Justice League from the early 2000s. If I've ever seen him without the headdress on. I don't know. But like uh, the Royal Flush Gang, uh, Faust was created by Gardner Fox and uh, Mike Sikowski. He made his first appearance in Justice League of America number 10 in 1962. And Faust is an evil sorcerer who literally made a deal with the devil. And his cellmate is the Penguin, created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, making his first appearance in Detective Comics number 58 back in 1941. And there have been many iterations of the Penguin over the years. Uh, you know, very very umbrella-themed. But I really like uh, the kind of the groove they found now for the Penguin, where... Uh, He's basically a high-society-type criminal running the Iceberg Lounge kind of a information broker. And, you know, I really like that as opposed to just a kind of a villain with a penguin theme, you know. But here right now, he's basically the guy in the penguin suit and the, the big umbrellas. And it amazes me that in prison, they're both in their regular outfits as opposed to uh, prison wear. Faust is in his sorcerer's robe and the penguin in his tuxedo. And what idiot let the penguin keep an umbrella? With all the things the penguin could do with an umbrella, why would they allow him to have one? I had the penguin action figure, and I still do, as a matter of fact. I'm looking right at it. I can't tell from here whether I, it has, has the blue tails on it, but it's the, the white suit with the blue and red top hat and the purple pants and the blue shoes, what's represented here in the Galactic Guardians. And even though I've long lost the umbrella, it is the multicolored umbrella that he sports in this episode. So Faust is going to make his uh, grand escape tonight. And I like how Penguin threatened to turn Faust into the guards if he didn't take Penguin along with him. That is a uh, smart move on the Penguin's part. It's a way to, uh, while not necessarily horn in on Faust's uh, plot, it at least gets him out of prison. And it shows how devious and uh, double-crossing the Penguin can be. And then, if they're all that bickering between back, with them back and forth, Faust shows how superstitious he is as he tells the penguin to close the umbrella or risk bringing bad luck down on them. If everything he's done, make, make a deal with the devil, 
start incantations in a prison cell. What's he worried about? Bad luck because of an open umbrella. So Wonder Woman, Firestorm, and Superman appear in the crystal ball, and there's a blimp caught in the power lines, and we go straight from the cell to that, and Wonder Woman kind of ropes it like it's a wild bull, and Superman rescues the pilot, and uh, Firestorm shuts the uh, power down by creating some kind of foam with his transmutation abilities. And uh, while this is happening, Faust casts a spell on Superman, and a ghostly Superman uh, shape flies out of the Man of Steel. And apparently that Superman's superpowers flying off. And Superman actually recognizes it as his superpowers flying off. As if he knows what the embodiment of his superpowers should look like. So basically the Penguin just muffs Faust's plan by jumping in front of Superman's powers and letting them go into him and not Faust. Now talk about your interception at the goal line right there. And so, so now the Penguin can fly. And he's not very aerodynamic. Something as fat as a penguin should not be flying. Kind of reminds you of a turkey, you know, when if if you've ever seen a turkey fly, and God help you if you have. I once saw one fly, uh, I was coming, uh, leaving Cooperstown, New York, driving south on Route 28. I saw these turkeys flying over my car as I drove, and all I saw was, as this turkey flew over my car, was like its stomach bouncing up and down. It was, like, it was one of the most disgusting things I have ever seen. So no. These birds should not be flying. Turkey, fat turkey should not be flying. And Oswald Cobblepot should not be flying. So Firestorm uh, basically says, Superman's powers flew that way. And I wonder if the actor, you know, kind of wondered how ridiculous that line sounded when he had to read it. So Faust is pissed uh, because Penguin has Superman's powers, but they are both out of, the, out of prison. So at least there's that. So Faust uh, seems to have his hideout in this cave that looks like some kind of scary creature's mouth apparently the alignment of the planets is the key to this plot and faust uh, can only get superman's powers while the uh, planets are aligned if you watch the episode and remember the beginning one of the things faust did point out was that the powers were aligned so however long the planets are going to remain aligned is the length of time that faust has to get superman's powers so Wonder Woman and Superman are confused about Penguin having Superman's powers, but it doesn't dawn on anyone that Penguin just kind of jumped in front of Faust to intercept them. So Penguin, meanwhile, runs roughshod over the world with Superman's abilities, and Superman is sitting in the Hall of Justice tinkering with something. So we get a news report of the Penguin's crimes, and and even the Great Samurai couldn't stop him, according to this news reporter. That might be the funniest thing I've ever heard. The Great Samurai. Samurai is a D-lister, at best, nothing great about him. So apparently, a Superman losing his powers is big news and everybody knows about it. It's amazing criminals aren't running wild all over Metropolis. Normally, if Superman were to, uh, especially in the modern sense, if Superman were to lose his powers, they'd do their best to keep it a secret, so this kind of thing doesn't happen. But nope, criminals are running wild in Metropolis. And for his final act, the Penguin just kind of drops a statue of himself on the statue of Superman. So here come the heroes, and Penguin kind of golfs the Daily Planet globe at them, basically using a girder as a golf club. So that's when uh, Penguin takes this device that Superman seems to uh, have created. It helps him fly and uh, basically makes him part of the fight instead of just a spectator. But uh, Penguin takes the uh, control device off of Superman's wrists, and then these phantoms that uh, Faust has conjured up from wherever he conjures up such things. Time is running out. 
I must reclaim Superman's powers while the planets are still aligned. This calls for the magic of my spirit crystal. Spiritus Kanakirku. Venta Renta Rabas Nu. Phantom, behold your master. I've summoned you for a mission most urgent. Basically, take Penguin to Faust in the cave. And when they arrive at the cave, Wonder Woman says she's going to try some ghost busting. But they have trouble with the Phantoms. However, the powerless Superman manages to kind of sneak past the Phantom due to the fighting. This is not something you normally see from Superman. In the previous episode, when he left the House of Cards and went after the, the robots, he took the direct route. All power from the Man of Steel. This time, he just, you know, he took a page out of Batman's book and was sneaky. I like it. With a spell, Superman's powers fly into Faust, and he's firing a ton of heat vision rather carelessly at Superman, and he winds up destroying his uh, super crystal. And it uh, gets rid of the Phantoms to help the rest of the superpowers team, but Faust still has Superman's powers. But Firestorm thinks on his feet and hits Faust with some kryptonite, and Wonder Woman's lasso can uh, make her bend anyone to her will, and it forces Faust to give Superman his powers back. I thought the lasso kind of only made people tell the truth and could make them see the truth in certain situations. I didn't know it actually had abilities to compel somebody to do a particular thing, but I guess it does. So for our ending, we've got some arguing between Penguin and Faust, and they hate that they're going to be in prison together again as the episode comes to an end. So that was a fun episode. It didn't really have a ton of story, but it was entertaining, and I've said this before, this is a kid's cartoon entertaining is really all that I ask for. So next time, I am going to complete my coverage of Galactic Guardians with Escape from Space City and The Death of Superman. If you want to send feedback in the show in the meantime, it's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in the search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.